I would encourage anyone who hears this just to be reminded of God's faithfulness. Regardless of how crazy the world has become, God's truth and his power and his presence and his plans, they won't be thwarted. They won't be changed by the opinions or actions of men. His kingdom will come and his will will be done. So I, I want to be a part of that. Welcome to the Christian Music Archive podcast, conversations about Christ, community, and music. I'm your host, Dave Maurer. When I'm getting ready to interview a guest for this podcast, I try to be prepared by reading past interviews and doing a bit of research. I'll put together a list of questions I want to ask and have somewhat of a roadmap planned for the direction of the show. But in nearly every conversation, we end up veering away from my plan because of a comment the guest makes that I find especially interesting, and my chat today with Russ Lee is no exception. As we got into our conversation, there were two phrases that kept popping up. First is that God has a perfect plan that he invites us to participate in. He lines up people and situations and invites us to travel life with him. Unfortunately, for me at least, I find that sometimes I have to look back at my history to see how God's plan brought me to where I am today. But just like the footprints in the sand, God is always there. The second theme in Russ's and my conversation comes from Exodus chapter 17. That's the story in the Bible where Aaron and Hur supported the arms of Moses, so that as his arms were raised, the Israelites would be victorious in battle. Russ talks about several people God placed in his life that helped lift his arms. He also shares stories about how he was able to lift the arms of others. Now, being an arm lifter like Aaron in the Bible is part of what I believe community is all about. It was good to hear how that community and support have been such a vital part of Russ's life and ministry. But before we get into the interview, let me remind you that this podcast happens because of your support. There are no advertisers footing the bills here, just the love and generosity from you, the listeners, and I greatly appreciate your encouragement. If you would like to help offset the cost of hosting a website and purchasing recording equipment, I'd like to invite you to head over to patreon.com slash ccmexchange. Patreon is the platform where you can provide some much-needed financial support, as well as provide feedback about these conversations. You can help me write the questions for the artists that I'll be interviewing, and you can even hear the podcast before it is released to the public. Your partnership makes it all possible. Won't you consider being part of the team? I'd love for you to check out patreon.com slash ccmexchange and see if you might want to be part of this team. That's p-a-t-r-e-o-n dot com slash ccmexchange. And thanks in advance for helping out. Well, I'd like to welcome to the podcast today, Russ Lee. And for uh, those of you who know Russ, you know he's been part of the group's Truth and New Song, as well as having a substantial solo career of his own. So it's going to be good to catch up with Russ and uh, hear what he's up to these days. 
Hey, it's nice to talk to you, Dave. Thanks for having me on. I did a little bit of prep before we we started here and realized that uh, you started doing music when you were probably in what uh, junior high, high school, something like that. Yeah, actually, I did. I started I started playing guitar when I was eight years old and singing. My dad and mom were both musicians and singers, and so my dad bought me my first guitar when I was eight years old, and I started learning to play guitar and sing. Um, some of those good East Tennessee mountain songs, if you will. And then um, when I, and so I could just continue to do that until, and my love for music began to grow at that point, obviously. And I began to really take an interest in it. I kind of took to it, if you will. I was better at that than I was a lot of other things. And so <laughs> I spent a lot of time doing that. Yeah. Uh, uh, but then I, then when I got to middle school, I started playing the trumpet uh, because I was always, for some reason, infatuated with the trumpet. So when I joined middle school, when I went to middle school, I joined the band and I started playing the trumpet. And then uh, when I was in ninth grade, I started in marching band. And, uh, you know, by that, at that time I had learned, I was taking some piano lessons. I'd learned some theory because everything I had learned before was just by ear. So sure. I'm, yeah. I'm kind of, a, I'm, I've kind of learned how to play instruments, if you will, um, both by ear and, and technically from taking lessons from, you know, my mom would, it would see that if I, if I had somewhat of an aptitude for something, she would get me a few lessons okay. uh, so that I could kind of get started, you know, if you will. So, yeah. so I ended up, you know, because of that, I ended up playing piano and guitar and then trumpet and, and, you know, several other little instruments just out of interest, really, in music, just wanting to make music. And so never knowing that that was really the Lord going ahead of me, preparing yeah. me for what he had in mind for me to do. Well, I knew I liked you for a reason. I've, I've been a trumpet player for close on 40, 50 years now, so I knew I liked you for a reason. <laughs> well, I appreciate that. Well, I, I, you know, I didn't know that trumpet, it, I kind of got away from it a little bit. Obviously, I play some now with New Song, and I played... Right. Uh, you know, and I played some before in other bands, but but uh, I got away from it for a little while because I couldn't figure out how to play trumpet and sing at the same time. So <laughs> if, you, if you, I guess if you could figure that out, you know, Phil Driscoll was pretty good at it, yeah, uh, singing and playing trumpet. But it always hurt my throat, so I couldn't I couldn't do a lot of both at, at any given time. But but I loved the trumpet and it really kept me grounded. You know, it was really my band director in junior high and high school that really kept an eye on me and really kept me out of a lot of trouble. He was a great Christian guy and. And when I went through some, you know, tumultuous times, as you probably know, but then my, right. but my band director really kind of stepped in and became like a mentor to me and, you know, encouraged me musically, pushed me out of the nest, if you will. So when I was in high school, uh, I was not only in leadership in the band, but I also spent a summer traveling overseas with the all United States marching band. Oh, very and, cool. And I got to tour most of Western Europe uh, with some other high school students. Uh, we went to Shenandoah Music Conservatory and, and worked on a, a show for about two weeks, learned our music, went to Shenandoah Conservatory, and then flew to Europe. So oh, wow. you know, he, my, my, I think my, well, my band director saw that my world was small and it was, and it, I was in trouble. And I really felt like he, he's the guy that pushed me and said, you can do this, you should do this. And so I, I have a great debt of gratitude to him because it kind of opened my eyes to a lot of things, but to the world in particular. And, yeah. and I began to see that that uh, uh, there's a lot of possibilities if you take a step of uh, what I would say then was a risk. But now I would say yeah. it is a total step of faith, you know. Yeah, it's interesting how God puts people in our paths ahead of time that we may look back on and go, oh, I see why you were there. Yeah. Oh, Absolutely. 
Well, yes. so you kind of alluded to it a couple of times. You said that your band director uh, kind of helped keep you out of trouble. Do you want to go into what that trouble was? Well, sure. I mean, you know, uh, there are a lot of people who come from broken homes and from difficult situations. And, you know, my my upbringing was no different. I had parents that loved us. I was the oldest of four kids. My parents really loved us. But my mother uh, suffered from a, a, a severe bipolar uh, mm-hmm. mental disorder. And my mother, and you know, this was the this was the late 60s and early 1970s. They really didn't know what to do with her. So she had to go through all those things like being institutionalized and shock therapy and all of oh, that wow. ter- yeah. terrible stuff we look back on now and say, no, that couldn't have happened, but it did. And so as the oldest of four, I felt a responsibility for my two younger brothers and my little sister. And I felt sorry for my parents. I wasn't mad at them because they couldn't give us things that other people had because right. my mother struggled. And so my dad started... Um, uh, drinking when I was 13 years old. I remember it because uh, I, for him, it was a coping mechanism. But but yeah. pretty soon, the stress, the kids, the wife who didn't recognize him half the time, all that stuff began to wear on him to the point that he became dependent on alcohol. And yeah. so alcoholism became, so not only was mental illness uh, an issue in our home, but alcoholism. And so I, yeah, as a teenage yeah. kid, I, I began to you know, I, I was very afraid. If you, I, I tell people, if you get off of the school bus a few times and your and your power's been turned off, or there are no groceries in your house, and yeah. your mother doesn't recognize you, it's kind of easy for you to panic. So I thought, you know, if I had some money, uh, then then uh, you know we would be okay. I could at least right. he- help. So I started working uh, when I was thirteen years old. Uh, I was working with the older kids, and I there was a friend of mine who's father owned a pallet business so he he built those shipping pallets oh, yeah, like you, sure. like they ship the heavy loads on that you see at big package stores anyway yeah. his dad his dad had a business doing that and he was always looking for extra help so i asked him if i could help and after i tried out and did a couple of days work he put me to work so i would get off the school bus at his house and i would work until about 11 o'clock or 12 o'clock and then wow. um and then i would go home and and, and, and I did that for a couple of months until I got a motorcycle and then I could, then I could really work. I didn't have to worry about my parents bringing. Right. So anyway, all that to say, I was around older kids. I didn't have a lot of accountability. I found myself involved in drugs and every, you know, everything mm-hmm. that tempts a kid these days, I was right in the middle of. By the time I was 15 years old, I was using drugs regularly recreationally. By the time I was 17 years old, I was a drug dealer. And so I had, my life had gone completely off the rails and, um, and it it was, you know, I realized that this wasn't the path I wanted to stay on my whole life, but I also began to question my very existence. And, you know, I I began to say, if there's a God in heaven, why does he allow all this bad stuff to happen? And, and if, if, if he's there, does he know that I'm here and does he care? And, you know, I began to ask these theological questions uh, just out of out of a longing in my own heart to yeah to know if if things were ever going to get better and if they're you know what what do you do when you're a kid and so really, anyway yeah long story longer I I um, <laughs> I I really um, got to the point where I was at the end of my rope and I'll never forget the night my breaking point because I was riding home I'd been playing guitar in a bar band for drinks uh, and it was kind of one of the, a little place where I was 
peddling drugs, you know. Oh, okay. And, and I and I uh, I was driving home, and I was listening to the Rolling Stones. Uh, uh, it was the, it was actually there weren't CDs at this time. <laughs> right. I was, listening, I was listening to the Rolling Stones sing "I Can't Get No Satisfaction," and I thought, man, that's yeah. what I'm looking for. I wonder how you get satisfaction. Like, right. is there even a thing called satisfaction? I, I'm just. It was so funny because I tell people now, you know, looking back, if if God can speak to Balaam through a donkey, he can certainly speak to me <laughs> through the Rolling Stones. And, yeah. and, and, it, and this longing in my heart to really know why I was here, it, it became so pronounced. And so that night in my car, I broke down. I said, this there has to be more than this. And right. there has to be a reason that people are here. I, I mean, I really became accidentally desperately philosophical you know and yeah. so that night in my car i i prayed an honest prayer I, I really as an adult had not really done that i didn't know what to think about all that you know I, even though i grew up in a christian community right uh, i grew up in a broken family and so uh, i didn't know if this if religion was a crutch if it was just you know i didn't know what it, i would know if it was who it was for I was just confused about all of it. But that night in sure. my car, I said, God, I don't know who you are or if you're even there. And I don't know how to find you. But if you're God, you can find me. And I'm asking you to because I need I need answers. And, you know, I never thought about honestly, when I prayed that prayer, it was just desperation. And I sure sure I was being I was sincere, but I didn't know what would happen. And, you know, there's a part of me that didn't want anyone to answer because I mm. thought, well, that just means I'm here on my own and I can do what I want to. And, you yeah. know, but, but, um, I, I had already proven on several occasions that being on my own and doing what I <laughs> wanted to wasn't such a good idea. So, right. so that was a Thursday night, Friday, I felt miserable and I thought, gosh, I'm losing my mind. I'm praying, throwing prayers up in the sky. I don't know what's wrong with me. I'm, I, so I'm, I've got to get control. I've got to gain control. And um, so Friday night I went out, I basically repeated the same routine and the same misery. I came home Friday and, and I thought, well, God didn't answer. And so I guess I'm on my own. And yeah. Saturday, uh, about lunchtime, I came home extremely intoxicated. I passed out. I, I Saturday, there was a knock on my door and someone came to my house that day and shared the gospel with me. And they said, oh, wow. it was a friend of mine from high school. And he said, you know, he said, I felt like I was supposed to come and tell you this. And his family was perfect. His life was perfect. He was always the kid I compared myself to. And I wished I was him and he was someone else, you know. Yeah. And um, I just thought, gosh, I wish I had his parents. I wish I had his life instead of my life. And, you know, very envious of this kid. Well, he shows up at my house uninvited and basically told me that he had felt the same way I had. And that oh, he had wow. talked to a pastor of a local church who had told him about Jesus. And he said, Russ, I feel like a, a million pounds has been lifted off me. I feel like the weight wow. of the world is off me. And my, I can tell you that you're going to think I'm crazy, but I put my faith and trust in Jesus Christ. And I feel like it's the right thing. And he said, I was, I'm going to be baptized Sunday. And since you're the first person that ever took the time to tell me about Jesus, I was wondering if you'd come and watch me be baptized. Oh, and I thought, what in the world are you talking about? You know? And he yeah. said, remember, he said, remember when we were little kids and your mom would ship you off to vacation Bible school because poor kids don't go on vacation. But I, so I complained to my mother and she sent me to vacation Bible school and said, well, yeah. it is vacation. It's called vacation Bible school. Every little church in the country, 
every little church on the hill in the dale in east tennessee had vacation bible school free for kids and so my mom would send me and i would hear bible verses and i even memorized some bible verses to earn prizes sure because poor kids like prizes and but i i lived the rest of my life you know 18 inches from freedom i didn't know I, I didn't know how all that applied and you know years wow. later so we would yeah. i would go back to school and my friends would talk about six flags over everything and yeah. i would t i would talk about what i did all summer which was play baseball and go to vacation bible school and somewhere along the way i had told my buddy david vassy john three sixteen, and i just was talking incessantly which i do from time to time and he and he, but he remembered it and he said you know when we were little kids you told me that god loved the world so much that he gave us his son and if you believe in him you won't perish but you'll have everlasting life and he said bill walker who was the pastor of hopewell baptist church in our little area our community he said bill walker told me the same thing and he said russ i put my faith and trust in jesus and and I don't know if I would have if you hadn't told me we were kids. And he said, so I'm going to be baptized Sunday. And since you're the first person that ever took the time to tell me about Jesus, it sure would mean a lot to me if you'd come to church with me and watch me get baptized. Well, I knew when, I knew when that happened, that there was a God in heaven who had heard my prayer. It was all just too uh, supernatural to be happenstance. I went to right. church. My buddy was excited. He made his whole family go. We all sat <laughs> on the second row. And he was baptized and the little church applauded and they were so sweet. And the pastor preached on how sin will destroy you and, and how what we're all looking for is a relationship with God through Jesus Christ. And mm -hmm. I felt like he was just talking to me. And so that Sunday I gave my life to Jesus Christ. I never looked back. It was an extraordinary experience for me. I became God didn't change my parents. He didn't change my home situation what he changed was my attitude which absolutely changed my home situation yeah and my whole life was changed that day i started i went from playing guitar in bar bands for drinks to singing in the choir someone heard me sing a solo at christmas that year that was october in december i sang a solo in a christmas cantata and someone said you know you should sing for a living and i thought that's a ridiculous idea i'm not good <laughs> enough to sing for a living and yeah. um and and this guy was visiting and said hey i i'm the I'm the vocal director for a, a group called the Spurlows and we travel all over oh, sure. the world. And he said, uh, I'm looking for someone to actually replace me. I'm going to work at Disney world uh, as one of the singers there. And they're looking for my replacement. How would you like to do this? I'll teach you everything you need to know. And my mother said, go. And my friend that my band director from high school said, you should do it. Who was so thrilled that I'd become a Christian and my, my youth pastors said, you should go do this. And so, I got on a plane and flew to Dallas, Texas and got on a tour bus. And here I am all these years later, just That's a, crazy. a testimony of God's grace and provision and direction, you know, because I still keep in touch with a lot of those old friends. Yeah. Uh, we did music with guy, you know, guys that I traveled with. I still keep in touch with some of those guys because that was the beginning for me. And they're right. all Christians. And I was really discipled there. A guy named Dan Matchy uh, was uh, he worked for for Thurlow Spur, and Dan Matchy knew that I was a new believer, and he took me under his wing and discipled me. And really, the process of me growing as a Christian and having something to say between songs really started right there. And it was yeah. a great it was a great place to learn how to do what I do. It was fantastic. So was that how you uh, got found by Truth? Because you went on to be with Truth, right? 
Well, I, I traveled with the Spurlows. I got married um, to a girl who was working for C for well, she was working for the Kissimmee St. Cloud Convention and Visitors Bureau, which was the tour and travel group that promoted all of the Central Florida attractions. Okay. We were doing a two week tour across Canada, and we were the music, and she was there promoting Florida, and I met her. And we became friends and then we fell in love and I got off the road and she and I and then in the meantime, I had learned that her parents uh, had uh, retired from of all things. Her parents, she grew up in Miami, Florida. Her parents had retired to Charlotte, North Carolina, because her sure. sister, her sister was there, her older sister. And, and they're only at that point, their only grandson. And so they moved to Charlotte, North Carolina. And um, we really felt that they were not believers, and we really felt like we should go really serve them and share the gospel with them. And so we were young and newlyweds, and we didn't really have anything keeping us in Florida, right. uh, per se, that was that important. And so we moved to Charlotte, North Carolina, and I entered us, my wife actually entered me in a singing contest. Uh, I plugged into a little church and was doing youth ministry and singing in the choir, and I'd gotten off the road for a little bit because we were newlyweds, and yeah. my wife, uh, my wife got a job uh, working uh, in in computers at PTL of all places. Oh, really? And and they had a they had a talent search, and my wife entered me in that talent search, and the talent search went debunk, but someone who was over the music they, at that at that time heard my my demo. And they called okay. me and said, hey, we're putting together a group to do prison ministry, to really be a, a musical ambassadors to Charlotte, to make, to provide music in the park and on the grounds. And we heard your demo. So I ended up being the vocal director because of my experience. Okay. I ended up yeah. being the vocal director of a group called the Celebration Singers. So uh, add that little caveat. I was at the PTL. Uh, I was there during the crash and burn. Uh, but I was, but the whole time um, I was going to a little Baptist church in Charlotte, working in the youth group and singing in the choir and serving, you know, uh, going to men's yeah. pancake breakfast and men's <laughs> right. events on Saturday morning. And then I'd run to PTL and sing on television. Then I would go home. So it was kind of a strange time in our lives, but the Lord obviously put me there through that. I met Roger Breland um, mm -hmm. uh, and I and some of my friends, believe it or not, that had, had gone to I'm from Cleveland, Tennessee. Some one of my good friends was a guy named Mark Harris that you are familiar. Oh, sure. With. Yeah. From for him. Yeah. Mark was in college when I got saved. Uh, one of my one of my influences said, hey, you need some Christian friends. Well, I hung out with some guys that, have, that were Christians that were awesome from Lee College. And through them, I met Mark Harris and we became friends and we became great friends. And uh, Mark at that time was was in truth. Uh, and so I, you know, I, we reconnected at PTL and he told Roger Breland about me and Roger heard me sing and began to pursue me because the for him guys uh, were forming and the okay, guys, yeah. the guys from truth, you know, Andy, Mark and and Marty and Kirk, they were getting ready to leave. And um, and so, you know, Roger Breland called me and said, hey, I want you to pray about being a part of this. And so that's how I became part of Truth. And then while I was with Truth, I recorded a song called Living Life Upside Down. Right. And, and another song called If You Could See Me Now that Eddie Carswell, new song, heard. Mm -hmm. And uh, and Eddie Middleton, one of the original new song guys, was leaving. And so when I got off the road with Truth, Eddie Carswell called me. And said, "Man, I love your voice. I I would love for you to talk to you about 
being part of a new song. We want to turn this four-man vocal group into a band. And okay. we would love for you to be a part of it. And so it was kind of the Lord going ahead of me, just putting me in the right place with the right people. And, you know, that's really the strange history. Well, you happen to know somebody who knew somebody and you happen to have a connection because of this or that. It wasn't happenstance at all, was it? It was the Lord really oh. paving the way for where you were going. Well, you know, uh, the Bible says the steps of a righteous man are ordered by the Lord. And um, since we're made righteous through the blood of Jesus, we can know that God has a plan for all of our lives and for followers yes. of Christ. And so it really was God just going ahead of me. He had it laid out. You know, some careers find you. Uh, mm -hmm. and sometimes you have to try to figure out what it is you're supposed to do or what it is you want to do. Uh, but I, I really never did that because the Lord continued to open doors and begin to show us that it was him. My wife and I really just wanted what the Lord had for us. And as we've just continued to, you know, take the next step of faith, God's confirmed it. And he's been there and he's been so faithful to provide for us, so merciful and gracious. And so he's been our supplier and uh, our provider. And so, we're you know, it's just been extraordinary. And if you'd told me years ago when I was playing guitar <laughs> in a bar band for drinks that, uh, you know, I would sing for millions of people and, and yeah. have the opportunity to share the gospel literally around the world. And I would never have believed it. I mean, I would not, I would never have believed it. And yet God had it planned all along. And I'm just kind of curious. So the way you tell the story, it's just like this fell into this, fell into this, fell into this. But during those times of transition, what did it look like for you to discern that, yes, this is the Lord calling and not just, oh, this is just a happenstance that's happening along? Well, to be honest, I said, this was my fleece, if you will. I said, I said, Lord, if you want me, like when I joined Truth, for instance, I said, Lord, if this is what you want me to do, um, then, um, well, I, well, let me back up. I was in Charlotte, North Carolina, uh, managing a veterinary pharmaceutical supply warehouse. I was peddling doggy drugs. I had gone from the <laughs> illegal stuff to the legal stuff. And uh, I was in this warehouse and I got a phone call and this guy said, hey, this is Ernie Frierson. And I'm, I and Ernie was a fantastic vocalist himself, but he was a producer at PTL. Of, he was a musical producer for stuff on, for um, events on the grounds, you know. Okay. And yeah. uh, Ernie called and said, "Hey, I'm Ernie Frierson. You don't know me, but I heard your demo, and man, uh, you have a great voice. I would love to talk to you about singing at PTL." And I said, "Wait a minute, you're talking about the Jim and Tammy Baker thing? I don't think I'm supposed to do that." And he said, "No, no, wait, wait, wait." He said, there's such a demand locally for ministry from PTL. We get so many calls. Uh, we're looking for someone to head up a group that will do prison ministry and local churches and, mm, yeah. uh, you know, someone who'll be like the Goodwill Ambassadors musically sure. of PTL because, because of the television schedule, you know, Tammy Baker and Jim and the PTL singers couldn't go do all those things. Right, yeah. Um, Derek Floyd at the time, another great, singer yep. who was who was very influential in my early career and who was very supportive of me um it helped me really launch as an artist um anyway all, all those guys were as busy as they could be and and so they put together this group they were opening the water park they were starting dinner theater they were wanted live acapella music on main street ernie said hey i'm not asking you to go on television i'm asking you to come and do this kind of thing well that resonated with me you know a prison ministry and so i yeah. said look i'll pray about it i'm not i'm not real excited about working for jim and tammy baker 
And he said, look, I understand that, but you need to come here and see what's happening on the grounds. You need to really see what this ministry is about before you pass judgment, because what you see on television is a very small part of what they're doing in Charlotte. And, you know, mm, so yeah. I, I went, I went and I, and I met with the, those guys and I sang for them and I really fell in love with both of those guys that Robbie Trice, who's a great songwriter. He's written a lot of songs for Bill Gaither and okay. uh, he wrote Alpha and Omega uh, for okay. Lulu Roman. That was a huge hit anyway. So uh, those guys really became friends to me, lifelong friends and, and invited me into this creative, um, environment and i was you know i don't forget i'd gone from touring the world to peddling right. dog drugs and now i had this yep. opportunity to be creative again um and uh, so it was really the lord opening the door one morning i was unlocking the warehouse and god spoke to my heart and said i want you to go do this this is uh. important and i need you to do it if and because i because i'd really been praying about it my wife had been praying about it and um, so I called my wife and said, I, I feel like the Lord wants me to go to work at PTL. She said, I know he's already told me I'm just waiting on you. Uh, so, and that's been the pattern, frankly. So, I, so that every time we've moved from that, uh, to, to truth, from truth to, to new song, from new song to solo years, uh, and then adding back in new song in 2009, every time I've made those transitions, I've really prayed and said, Lord, I really want you to give Mary a piece about it. Uh, because she is the greatest Christian I know, and I'm going to pray about it until I feel a real breakthrough and a release or a direction. And, you know, because I believe that the prayers, the fervent effectual prayers of the righteous availeth much. I believe right. in prayer. I believe that right. we we serve a God who answers prayer. And he says, you have not because you ask not. And, and you know, ask and you'll receive, seek and you'll find, knock and the door will be opened to you. You know, I mean, I believe scripture. I believe that God has good things for us and he has a will and a plan for us. And yeah. so I've just, you know, our prayer has always been, Lord, what is that? What is that you have for us? And then, Lord, help us to be obedient and because we know you'll do the rest. If, and, you know, some of that's been really difficult, but it's always been God leading us and our strength and confidence and our ability to walk through a lot of different seasons has really been that God put us here. Yeah. And so, and we can trust him. He's a loving father. And this is not just about us. It's about his kingdom and what he's doing on earth. And we get to be a part of it. We get to be a part of this and that's extraordinary. So, yeah. you know, that gives you great confidence in what you're doing, even when you don't understand fully why you're doing it. You just know that God called you there and the goal then becomes to be faithful on a daily basis. And that confidence carries you through some tough times as well as the, the, well, the easy times are hard, you know, you don't need a lot of confidence maybe, but, but you, you and Mary went through a difficult health scare and I'm sure you were relying even more on God's confidence to say, Lord, we trust you through this stuff. Well, and you know, to be honest, I, I had a hard, it's funny because my, you're obviously referring to. My wife, I've got a solo music career that's going gangbusters, and we're we're having these opportunities literally to travel around the world and do unbelievable things. I had gone to Iraq twice to minister to the troops there during during uh, Desert Storm, and uh, you know, and uh, and so I mean, I had these crazy opportunities to go do ministry yeah. literally around the world. We had just come back from Fiji, where we had been doing pri uh, prison ministry and ministry to missionaries. And my wife turned yellow, and what we thought was just a little jaundice turned out to be ampullary cancer, which is your 
uh, your ampulla vita is the valve that controls the bile in your bile duct. Okay. And, it, and her cancer was pressing against her pancreas. And the oh. doctor was afraid it was going to metastasize. And so what was a one-hour procedure to, to clear a blockage uh, and remove a stent that was helping her became a 10-hour surgery and, Oof. you know, nine days in ICU. And it it went from three three biopsies telling us it wasn't cancer to the doctor coming out of OR saying it is cancer. We were wrong. It's aggressive oh, and man. invasive and rare. And most people don't survive this cancer and we need to get it now. I mean, oh, so boy. to be honest, I was stunned. I was shocked. It was like a left hook out of nowhere. God definitely sure. went ahead of us. And we saw the evidence of his fingerprints and we saw his footprints ahead of us and we felt his presence. But I was still just devastated, you know. Oh, um, definitely. And, uh, and and to be honest, my wife handled it much better than I did. She said, huh. you know, she said, I said, why you? And she said, much better me than someone who doesn't know the Lord, don't you think? Mm. And, and, uh, and what so, a perspective. Well, and it really, you know, her strength is extraordinary. I'm telling you, I tell people all the time, I'm the storefront, but she's the merchandise, man. She's, <laughs> she's ex- extraordinary, and her faith is just profound, and, you know, she keeps it simple, and she's just faithful. It's kind of black and white in her world, and if Scripture says it, and then, then that's it. And, you know, I, I just love her. Um, you know, she's, she's not a philosopher. She is a follower. And mm-hmm. she's following Jesus, and and her strength is just inspiring. And so, anyway, she just said, "Hey, you know, uh, if we can't worship the Lord and praise Him and serve Him and trust Him when it's difficult, we have no business doing that when it's great." So, mm-hmm. you know, this is the proving time. But God really showed us through some just miraculous signs that He was going ahead of us, and that we needed to trust Him with this. So here she is, you know, July the fifth. She's having cancer surgery that's not even supposed it's supposed to be a one hour procedure but now it's cancer surgery and yeah. they're opening her completely up and they're doing this uh, whipple resection they call it which means they cut away a portion of every organ that is close to the margin where the cancer is and then they try to sew your organs back up and stuff them back in you and then they pray oh. that your organs wake back up because sometimes they don't and if that's oh. the case then you don't survive the surgery. And we've known people who haven't survived that surgery since then. And so, you know, my, my wife's doctor uh, tells her every time he sees her, she ended up by God's grace, being able to go to MD Anderson hospital in Houston, Texas. And her doctor tells her every time he sees her, you, do you realize what a miracle you are, Mary? You are, you are a miracle. You you are the case study. You're the exception. You're the, you're the miracle. Um, because her cancer, uh, the cancer she had, most people don't even, it doesn't show up until much it's later in life, 30, yeah. yeah, 35 or 40 years after she had it. So, um, so anyway, it, it's just, she is a testimony to God's faithfulness. Her body is functioning in a way that is a miracle. She's, yeah. she's producing things inside of her to sustain her physically that, her she shouldn't be even be able to so she's literally a walking testimony of god's faithfulness and every time i look at her i'm reminded of that every time i see one of her scars i go you know that scar may look like a scar to you but it's a beautiful testimony of god's faithfulness to me uh that you know and so now uh you know we're on the back side of it it's it's much easier but to be honest dave for five years after her cancer diagnosis and surgery I really struggled spiritually. I mean, I, mm. I really, 
you know, she's been 13 years and a half, 13 years and some change cancer free now. Wonderful. Yeah. Um, uh, but, but I, I had a really hard time with it and it really affected me, um, you know, much more than it did her, I think emotionally and spiritually, because, um, uh, it kind of really caught me off guard and it made me ask and answer a lot of questions that I, I had not had to ask or answer before that, you know? So talk a, bit, a little bit about the process of that five-year process of going, God, what in the world are you doing? How did you make it through that? Was it a, was it just a white knuckle grin and bear it? Did God present himself no. through something big and miraculous? Was it a friend? How did you make it through that whole situation? Well, interestingly, it was yes and. It was all of the above. Uh, you know, um, my I kept telling myself, I kept reminding myself of Job saying, though he slay me, yet will I serve him. And I just thought, you know, that, that has to be the attitude. But I, I do not have the strength to have that attitude. And it's interesting because my wife was diagnosed with cancer. She... I was singing on the on the K-Love music boat cruise and my wife, okay. turned yellow, she turned yellow and we came home and that she had blockage in her bile duct and that was cancer, but we didn't know it. Um, well, that was in May, February before that, I had just come back from this trip to Fiji and my wife and I were both very exhausted. We had literally taken our kids and given away concerts for a year and a half in third world countries mm. around the world. And we had traveled as a family. We had seen some extraordinary things. We had seen thousands of people come to Christ. We had built churches and schools and and clinics. And I mean, we had right. been involved in some extraordinary stuff with World Vision and Reach Beyond Ministries and and the International Mission Board of the Southern Baptist Convention and and, you know, I mean, we, we international mission ministries from other denominations. I mean, we literally, it was a thing that God just put together. And right. so we came back, we were pumped, but we were exhausted. exhausted. And so yeah. my pastor came to me. In the meantime, our home church had grown from 300 people to about 3,000. And my pastor oh, wow. said, we really need to transition to, uh, to we now, our worship needs to step up to modern worship. I mean, we were, you know, 20 miles from Nashville. And yeah. so there's, you know, an influx of musicians everywhere. <laughs> yeah. And uh, and our church was still doing traditional worship. And he said, you know, we've got so many new young families and this is a great time. And he said, I wish you'd help me find a worship leader. Well, after about six months, uh, he came to me and said, I want you to pray about being our worship leader for a little while, because I really feel like the reason I keep you keep coming to mind is because the Lord wants you to do this. Hmm. And so he said, if nothing else, just help me build it. Let's help me right. get get this. And I, you know, I had led worship a lot and I had, you know, that was part of what I do as a solo artist is lead worship. And so um I prayed about it and the Lord said, you know, go do it. And so it was just a strange thing to go on staff as a worship pastor. Uh, <laughs> yeah. You know, it was kind of like a, you know, a, a stop, just a stop gap in my musical uh, ministry career, if you will. But the Lord told us clearly in February, he said, I want you to go do this and lift up the arms of your pastor and, and come yeah. home. And so, you know, so I, I said, well, this will be great. And, you know, I've got all these great resources and friends who are great at it who will help me. And so we built this mm -hmm. worship program and it was it, it was working and pastor was really happy and the church was growing and people were coming, you know, because of the music and all this stuff. And I was to be honest, I was a little prideful. I was like, you know, I knew that if I work hard, I could do this. And, you know, it wasn't yeah. like I was discounting what God was doing, but I was taking a little credit in my heart, frankly. Mm. 
uh, because I was a professional and I knew how to do it and I had experience and it was so much better than it was before I'd gotten, you know, if yeah. tr the truth be told, I was pretty proud of what God was yeah. doing, if you will, you know? Yeah. I hear you. And, uh, I hear you. Yeah. And so that was February in May. My wife got sick in July. She was diagnosed with cancer. And the second the doctor came out and told us it was cancer, the Lord said, look, I didn't need you to go do this thing at the church. I was pulling you in under the porch for this season of storm in your life. Wow. And so this wasn't really about you being spectacular. This was about me taking care of you and being a loving father. And so it, that that moment really broke my pride. I mean, I honestly, I was humiliated, but in a good way. Mm -hmm. You know, um, I was so blessed, humbled, embarrassed before the Lord. I had not told anybody, man, I'm doing a great job. I, I it was just before the Lord, you know, God said, Hey, that's yeah. pride. It, you know, it, so it was that beautiful, you know, the Bible says God disciplines those that he loves. Yeah. And it was such a beautiful spanking, if you will. It was just <laughs> such a beautiful, like yeah. come to Jesus moment where God was like, Hey, yeah. I didn't need you to do this. There's thousands of people that are, love me and serve me and can play a guitar and sing really well. I was just bringing you in. And you know what, Dave, the church stepped up and loved us in such a community way. They mm -hmm. loved us like the body of Christ. They ministered to us. My pastor came and said, uh, we're just going to walk with you through this and whatever it takes. We're just here. You're, you know, don't worry about us. Don't worry about the church. I had an associate who is now the minister of arts and worship at that church. It's now running 6,000, you know, and uh -huh. he, he yeah. was, he was a recent graduate from MTSU and he was, a, he's such a gifted guy and he just stepped in and, and really, you know, shouldered that and some other folks did. And I mean, it, it was just extraordinary what God did. And it, it was, it was family ministry. It was just God yeah. confirming who he was in our lives again. And, you know, I did that for two years. My wife went through all the treatments and the church just carried us. I mean, they honestly just carried us through that season and it was the Lord, but it was the church. And we, you know, I led worship and people liked it and they were glad I was there. But the whole yeah. time I knew, I knew that, you know what, God could make these rocks cry out. This is really him just loving yeah. on us. And so we were so humbled and grateful about two years into it, 2009, um, Eddie Carswell called me and said, Hey, I don't know if new song's going to be around for five more minutes or five years or 15 years. I don't know what we're going to do, but I, I would love to finish this thing with people that we love and people. And I had maintained my relationship with those guys. When I left new song, it was to raise my family, not because I was mad right. at anybody. Right. And we had stayed friends, written songs together. Uh, Eddie Carswell and I wrote I Smile together. Uh, so, mm -hmm. you know, we, we were yeah. we stayed great friends. Anyway, he said, man, you know, I know you're doing the church thing. And and he said, but, you know, you're like made for the road. And <laughs> I just wish you would pray about getting back on the bus. And it's much different now than it used to be when we were gone 280 days a year. I know your family's important to you. We don't have to, we don't travel that much anymore. And. You know, the Lord's blessed us with Winter Jam is coming on and we've got these youth conferences that have grown and, you know, we don't have to travel as much. And yeah. so you can still be involved in your church and you can do this. And, you know, and I, I, I said, well, you know, I love you guys, but I've already been in New Song. I've already done yeah. that for a long time. And Eddie said, well, would you just pray about helping us finish this thing? And the Lord really, the Lord woke me up at five o'clock one morning and said, and he said, I want you to do this. And I said, Lord, what if I don't want to do it? And he said, hey, what if it's not about you? 
What if it's about <laughs> ministering to Eddie Carswell and Billy Goodwin and raising their arms up and helping them finish well? They've been so faithful and they've served me so well. And what if I just need you to go do this? Is that okay with you? You know? And yeah. I was like, okay, Lord, I'm sorry. I, I'm just a prideful, uh, you know, I, I don't, I'm sorry. I, I, you're right. I don't need to be this way. And so I woke my wife up at five o'clock, which she really appreciated. Yeah, I'm sure. <laughs> and I said, honey, I know. She said, I said, honey, I've been laying on this floor on my face for the last two hours. And and God has just shown me that I've got to get back on the new song bus. And she said, oh, he told me two weeks ago. And he told me not to say anything, that he had to give you a piece about it. And she didn't even, I mean, that was literally all she said. She said, get in the bed and go back to sleep. But she went back to sleep. It, it didn't even oh, wow. phase. It didn't even phase her. So, uh, you know, so uh, sure enough, in February of that year, that was, uh, that was, uh, uh, toward the end of 2008 and Eddie uh -huh. and I talked about it and talked about what that would look like. And, you know, and then in February, the first weekend in February, 2009, I got back on the new song bus and my wow. wife was doing great. And my wife said, I said, she said, you know, you're doting over me and you're, the Lord has been so good to us and taken such good care of me. It's been two years since this cancer thing. I'm fine. Go do what you're called to do. It's mm -hmm. time to go do what you're called to do. And, you know, and I knew that. And when I got back on the new song bus the first night, it was like I had never left. It was just, uh, and ministry happened and it was extraordinary. Yeah. And, you know, so, so really it's just been God's faithfulness and, and, and his testimony, not my testimony. And how cool is it that God does all the things he needs to do, including telling your wife ahead of time, yeah, this is going to happen, but, but you got to let Russ figure this out on his own. But just know that it's coming and that she was open to that. And then <laughs> I love this. Yeah, just go back to sleep. I already do that. <laughs> well, it's it's a little embarrassing, but it also, you know, it also, uh, I tell people all the time uh, when they say, hey, well, I want you to be praying about something for me, or could you pray for me? And I will say, yes, I'm going to pray for you. And I'm going to get my wife to pray for you because, <laughs> Amen. you know, I mean, and not, not that, you know, I believe, you know, I, I just know that, that when she prays, God answers and she, she's serious about it. And, you, you know, it's, it's pretty awesome to be, you know, here now we've been married uh, for 36 years. And during that whole time, she's walked beside me and ministered strongly. And when we were, we were on staff at church, we, you know, we led senior high Bible studies and did youth ministry for 25 years while we were traveling on the road. And even, you know, still had senior, senior high Bible study at our house. She uh -huh. was right there in the middle of all that, you know, leading, facilitating, loving on kids. Um, so it's pretty extraordinary. It's an it's an amazing gift when you're married to someone who's more surrendered to the Lord than you are. When your desire is to be surrendered to the Lord and to serve mm -hmm. Him, it's amazing to have somebody who's, you know, who challenges you spiritually and yeah. who encourages you spiritually and who's as surrendered as you are. And you know, to this day, Dave, if I walked out of this room and told my wife, you know, I really feel like the Lord wants us to learn Spanish and go to Mexico, she would say, let's pray about it and let's start the process and see what that would look like. And I mean, she would go today. Uh, so, yeah. you know, I, I just love that, that she's, she has such an open heart. She holds everything before the Lord just so openly. And it's just, she just wants to serve him and to hear well done and to honor God and to help people. And what a gift she is to me. And, you know, I, yeah. I we can sit here and talk about, my career, but it wouldn't have existed if God had not put her right there to yeah. 
you know, to walk alongside me and to lift up my arms and to encourage me and to give me feedback and to tell me what not to wear sometimes and to, <laughs> you know, yeah. and to, and to really challenge me spiritually. You know, I'm so nice to be able to just come home and frankly just dump on her and say, I don't know why I'm feeling this way, but this is how I feel right now. I know this isn't the Jesus in me that feels this way. And to have her just pray and then, you know, talk with me, process things. And yeah, pretty, pretty amazing. Uh, You know, she's really the one you should be talking to. She's she's (laughs) pretty extraordinary. What an amazing gift. I think back to the beginning of your story when you had a home that was so struggling and and not necessarily from anything that was done there, although some of it was, but then to flash forward 50 years to have the the, the gift of Mary to you as kind of the, uh, I don't want to say antithesis of what you experienced growing up, but that's just that's just so cool to hear how God provided what you kind of were missing as a kid. Oh, absolutely. And, you know, I, I learned what a family looks like from being with her family. And I learned, you know, we, we learned, we've been on this journey together and, um, and, you know, I shudder to think what my life would be like if the Lord hadn't just placed her in my life. And he's, it was almost like he said, Hey, I've got these things that I want you two to do together. Mm -hmm. And, and, um, I've already gone ahead of you. I already have it planned and, and this is what it's going to look like. And, um, you know, even when it's difficult, I'm going to be there and it's going to you're going to look back and be shocked and amazed and grateful and humbled by what I allow you guys to be a part of. And, and you know, that's really the story. Yeah. I've had a couple of people through my life ask me, you know, I feel like God's calling me to this, but I'm not sure he's going to call my wife to it, too. And and I've always used that as a fleece, that if God is calling you to do something, he will lay on your wife's heart or vice versa the the passion right. and the drive and it may not be to do it to but it may all just be to support you through it and because Mar- mary's not on the road she's not the one up there singing but she's the backbone that's helping support you so that you can and he's called you right. both into the ministry that you're doing absolutely and she you know she's a conscientious she's been to more concerts than almost anyone so she <laughs> she's she's a hyper super fan and but but you know she's she's uh, she's she believes in me she's encouraging to me she supports me but she's also really honest with me and she keeps me out of the ditch a lot of the times um and and but but i you know i've known some people whose marriages haven't survived because mm-hmm. someone was so dead set on doing something um, and, and, and they didn't, they didn't approach it together. One, one of them, you know, took the lead and basically was stubborn and said, unless you're willing to do this, then I guess I'll do it alone and you'll just have to figure it out and suffer through it. And most of the time the, those relationships don't make it. And that's right. That's, a, that's a very difficult thing. And, you know, if my wife said to me tomorrow, um, I, I don't think you should do this anymore. I feel like you need to you need to get off the road and you need to come home and we need to do something else. Um, I, I have to consider that. I have to honor that. I have to pray about that and talk to her about that. And if that's truly what the Lord is saying, and if that's what we're supposed to do, if that's what she needs me to do, then it should be in my heart to do it. Yep. And, you know, I, I need to be willing to, because if the two are one flesh, uh, then, then, you know, it's like you said, we're, whatever God's calling us to, he's calling us to together. Yeah. And so, you know, and I also know I have a lot of confidence in my wife. I know that she's not going to just say, because she's tired, 
Mm. Hey, I don't want yeah. you to do this anymore. It's too hard. Yeah. We've, we've spent too much money. We've spent too much time. <laughs> we've sacrificed too many things. You know, I, I know that that's just not her nature. Yeah. Um, you know, but, but, but if she says, I feel like the Lord is telling me it's time for, you know, for us to, to do something different, then I'm going to take that serious and I'm going to yeah. pray about that. And, you know, if it is truly what the Lord wants us to do, then, you know, it, I, I would do it tomorrow because God's been so faithful. Now I have this history, you know, I have the great benefit and the great clarity of God's faithfulness through, uh, through a history and through, a, through seasons of my life. And so, you know, those are just great gifts to have. And when you don't have that, then we've got God's word that shows us the pattern of his faithfulness in the lives of so many people. Yeah. And so, you know, if sometimes when we're not old enough to have those histories, we need to look at people that are, and, yeah. or we need to look at, you know, situations where, where God has been faithful and he's led and directed him. You know, I, I like to study the people who finished well, you mm-hmm. know, the, 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 uh, the people who've gone before us, who fought the the good fight and kept the faith, you know, those are the people that I want to be my mentors. And as you've gone through your story, God's faithfulness has not changed one bit. Not at all. And yeah. even even when I'm faithless, you know, He remains faithful because He can't deny Himself. But you know, here's what I know: I know that God's kingdom is coming and His will is being done. Yeah. And and um. He's going to do what he's going to do. And I can't believe I get to be the smallest part of it. Yeah. Uh, but I'm glad that I do. I mean, I'm, I'm glad that I do. I'm glad that he found me. I didn't find Christ. He wasn't lost. He found me. <laughs> I was lost and he right. found me. And, yeah. you know, not just place me on this sure foundation, this rock. Uh, but he also, you know, revealed his plans for me and he walked me through it and, you know, like Stormy O'Martian says, sometimes God just gives you enough light for the step that you're on. But mm. when he does that, we, we, you know, as we take, sometimes we take that next step in the direction that he's calling us or the last direction he called us in. We can't even see what's ahead of us, but we're stepping in faith and obedience. And I know that God's going to take care of us in that situation. And, you know, I, I would encourage anyone who hears this just to be reminded of God's faithfulness, regardless of how crazy the world has become. God's truth and his power and his presence and his plans, uh, they won't be thwarted. They won't be changed by the opinions or actions of men. His kingdom will come and his will will be done. And um, so I want to be a part of that. I want to be on the winning side of that. Well, Russ, one of the things that we do, and you may have seen this, we send out a weekly prayer letter to a bunch of folks who are committed to praying for artists and uh, their, their families and so forth. What can we be praying for you in these coming days and weeks? Well, I think, you know, ob- the obvious answer is, you know, the, the way that COVID has changed the world uh, has also changed the way that groups like New Song and artists like myself deliver uh, ministry. You know, um, we God's been good to us and we've been able to survive uh, to this point, the, as a ministry, um, we're making plans. We're looking beyond this moment, and we we don't want to sit back and let COVID dictate what we do or don't do. But at the same token, we have to be aware of what's happening around us, yeah. medically, culturally, socially. So we're trying to be sensitive to those things, but we also are trying to answer this call to ministry that God's placed in our lives. So how do we do that in this new setting? 
in a way that honors God and fulfills the calling that God's placed on New Song and on myself and yeah. on this ministry. And, you know, how, how do we do that? What does faithfulness moving forward really look like since normal has changed? It's, it's that moment where you say, Lord, let your kingdom come and your will be done on earth as it is in heaven and believe that that's going to happen. And, and Lord, wherever you lead, I'll go. Whatever it is you want me to do, I'll do that. God, just, you know, if you direct our paths, lead us, we're going to be faithful to follow that leading as best we can because we know that you're going to provide our strength, our direction, our resources, everything that we need to do that. So, Lord, you know, our prayer is, Lord, what does, what does faithfulness to your calling on our lives look like from this moment moving forward? Thanks for sharing in time with us today, Russ. I want to encourage each of us to remember that God has invited us to be on this exciting journey called life with God. I really like how Russ put it. He said, quote, I didn't find Christ. He wasn't lost. Christ found me. <laughs> I love that quote. What a great reminder for those times when things just don't seem to be going right. God is there. He found me, and he has a plan for me. God is there. He found you, and he has a plan for you. Thanks again for listening to the Christian Music Archive podcast. Remember that this is a sister project to the Christian Music Archive website, where you can read more about artists like Russ Lee and New Song, and learn more about Christian music from the last six decades. And while you are there, take a couple of minutes to just drop me an email and let me know your thoughts. I always love hearing from you. And if I can be so bold as to just ask one more favor from you, would you please give us a star rating on your podcast app? Everything about this podcast is organic, including our marketing. So ratings, comments, and reviews help us spread the word. Thanks so much. Well, I'm recording a couple of very cool interviews this week, and I'm eager for you to hear them. So check back next week to see who we're talking to. And until next week, remember, God loves you. In fact, he's crazy about you. And until next week, remember, God loves you. In fact, he's crazy about you.